and welcome to the Arcade Perfect Podcast, episode 49. And I'm one of your hosts, Dennis, as usual. And with me, I have my co-host, my good friend, Mr. Sean Taxter. How are you, mate? Doing well, Dennis. How are you? I'm doing well, man. Bit, 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 bit cold this morning, on this Sunday morning. So, yeah. Yourself? Bit nippy, isn't it? Bit nippy. I've got a coffee here, so yeah. hitting the hard stuff first off to yeah. get things going, you I've know? Already, I've already finished my coffee. Spewing. I wish I had a two-litre mug or something because uh, <laughs> I'm that cold. But, um, yeah, today's a special episode. It's We're not reviewing a game. How's well, that? Huh? Oh, it's Sunday morning, so it can only mean one thing. We've got another time zone difference going on, Daz. Yes, we do. <laughs> we have our special guest, Mr. George Gomez, EVP and Chief Creative Officer at Stern Pimble. How are you, George? Hey, guys. Uh, great to talk to you. Likewise. Oh, you're welcome, George. You're welcome. Th- th- thanks for taking out the time to talk to us. So, yeah, how have you been? I hope you've been doing well. Yeah, yeah. thank God. Um, everything's good. Uh, been staying healthy and, um, you know, uh, so are all the most of the people I know. So um, so that's a, that's a good thing. Yeah, that, that's very important, especially during this this time. But look, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get out of the gloominess of what's going on. We'll um we'll we'll go straight into into our questions. Tag, would you like to uh, give yep. you your first question? Well, yep, sure, yeah. So um, so George, first off, I think it's a, we all, it's always good to kick off with the beginnings. So um, would you mind telling uh, the listeners a little bit about how you got into the into the amusement industry? Yeah. So um, so I studied uh, I studied design. Uh, specifically uh, industrial design, product design. And um, when I was right out of school, you know, I was playing, I was playing arcade games um, at school. And uh, this was like the, the uh, late seventies. So, you know, I graduated uh, from school in May of 78 and uh, sort of blew off the summer. And and, and, uh, I lived at home and my mother started give me a hard time about getting a job in the real world. <laughs> and so in October, um, you know, I'd had, uh, I, I had, uh, I had the good fortune of, uh, I had a professor that had told me that, uh, you know, there were a lot of things that a lot of places, a lot of design studios, different design environments that I could work in. But he, he made a suggestion, which sort of stuck with me. He said, you know, you should, you should try to go to work out of a place where you know they need you, but uh, they don't know they need you because you know you'll as soon as you make your mark, you know you you can be a you can be a big fish in a little pond very quickly. Mm. And you know I was I was playing arcade games at the time. I didn't really know anything about uh, how how games were made or the you know what what the different disciplines involved in making the games, mm-hmm. but. But the games I was playing, I, I thought, I I thought, man, these things need help. I I didn't, you know, because I didn't really, you know, I didn't really understand the limitations of uh, reality or the technology at the time, or mm. you know, cost constraints or the notion of, you know, how how even how the business worked, you know, the notion yeah. of an op- yeah. operating game, and you know, people putting money in the games and splitting the take with the location and all of those things. I didn't really understand. So, but I, so I, th- I sort of thought, man, these things, they, they just, you know, they, they need help. So I, uh, 
I I happened to be playing a game uh, that uh, said Midway Games on it. And I looked up at the, in, on the marquee and it said Franklin Park, Illinois. And Franklin Park is a suburb of Chicago where I lived and where I studied. And um, and so I, I that's sort of stuck in the back of my head. And um, so I got I managed to uh, through a headhunter, I managed to get my foot in the door and uh, get an interview at Midway Games. And uh, leading up to the interview, I had some time. Uh, the guy that was going to interview me um, wasn't in the office and wasn't going to be in the office for some time. He was traveling or something. And so there was a period of time before the interview that I had um, to prepare sort of for the interview. And, and I, you know, I ran around the city with a Polaroid camera. You remember, remember those? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Instant pictures. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I took I took pictures of um, different midway game midway products in on locations, you know, in arcades, etc. Yeah. And I went back, and back then, you know, designers. I mean, designers still interview with a portfolio, but today, a portfolio, a guy's going to send you a link to his website, or he's going to sit in front of you and page through his iPad, and he's going to show you his work. Yeah. And back, you know, we had real portfolios, right? Where you know, where you had. Physical, had, <laughs> yeah. You know your drawings, physical portfolios. Where you had your drawings, and you had like your sketches and your renderings, and you had uh, like photos of the models you've built, and all that stuff, right? Mm, yeah, sure. Uh, I I just I redesigned a bunch of these games uh, the way that I thought they should be, without really understanding where the lines were drawn. So I, you know, meaning where the divisions of responsibility. Yes, yeah, the limitations, I suppose, yeah, of the time. Yeah, it, I did some of everything, right? And um, and then I, I, w I went in and, you know, I, I managed to get a job. And um, those guys offered me a job. And in the beginning, for, for some time, uh, they wouldn't let me, re you know, really near game design. They basically, uh, I was doing, I was styling controls and you know guns and and joysticks and, and and different controllers uh cabinets you know i was helping the art department out when they got in trouble with the or they needed help uh so i was doing a variety of different things um but not you know not really games um and you know it was that it was it was during that era that uh you know the, the company had uh, you know had several uh, captive R&D groups. Uh, one of them was uh, Dave Nutting and Associates, and the other one was uh, Arcade Engineering. Um, Arcade was in um, in um, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and um, and Dave Nutting and Associates was down the street in a suburb called Arlington Heights. Uh, you know, Midway was in Franklin Park, Illinois, and and and. Uh, those two shops were really sort of the company's advanced R&D. And, um, you know, Dave Nutting was a, an early mentor of mine. And, and, you know, he he's the, you know, him and, and Jay Fenton and um, uh, Jeff Fredrickson are the, you know, the guys that, that did uh, Gorf and Wizard yes. of War, you know, stuff like that. Right. And mm -hmm. and so, you know, when you you know, you've heard, you know, you've heard the tales of the Gorf joystick and stuff like that. Uh, uh, Dave, the, the, the actual the concept of, um, you know, a big flight controller on on the game was it really Dave's not mine um and 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 they brought it to me to basically uh style something in the way of a control grip uh that was suitable for it like Dave I think I think Dave's original uh, prototype had like a like an F4 Phantom 
you know, had a, a joystick, you know, like a real military um, mm-hmm. F4 Phantom uh, right. joystick on there or something like that. It was, it was, it, and, um, and so, you know, I, the, the, the idea uh, behind the, the, the control grip was that, it, you know, it would be used on a variety of different themed games. So it had to be somewhat generic, but somewhat futuristic looking. It couldn't be, couldn't be too military. It couldn't be too much, you know, too space age. It had to be yeah. some, something that would work with, with a middle so, ground kind of thing. That's a, yeah. Work I sculpted, I sculpted that thing and, 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 you know, uh, uh, drew it up and did, did a bunch of the engineering on it. You, you've seen, um, on the, the early ones, I, uh, not the, not the Tron version, but the, uh, but the early, like the Gore version, I, I hid my initials in the, <laughs> in the, in the, you know, in the, in the illuminated area, illuminated area of the stick there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, did you, name- did you spot my little icon? Did you? Yeah, you can find it in there. Yeah, yeah. You can, um, that's it. I've, I've found the G O M E yet. M E Z. So uh, yeah. <laughs> I've, I, I, during the research, I was looking into. It, I was like, oh, it's a cool, really cool little Easter egg. <laughs> yeah. Well, back then, you know, the uh, we didn't really uh, at, at Midway, we didn't get to sign our names to stuff. I mean, that 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 came that came out of Williams. Um, yeah, I think Williams, the Williams guys were signing their names to stuff and then at Midway, it didn't happen for many, many years. Um, but in, in that era, they didn't really, I don't, I, for whatever reason, they didn't like us to, to do. So we were always sneaking it into different places. So, I mean, you know, you can find our initials on, if you ever power down one of those games and, and reset it, when you power it back up the default high score table, if you wipe the high score tape, you know, if you wipe the, yeah. whatever scores around there the default high score table is typically the initials of all the guys that worked on it mm-hmm. yeah 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 did but, you did... Like, so I, you know i bounced around uh, doing that stuff and then there was a there was a group of guys a uh, software engineer very talented software engineer bill adams and um and a young um uh, actually he was about my age at the time we were in our early 20s i think i think bill was a little bit older than us maybe you know, I mean, he was maybe mid twenties. We were early twenties, but um, his name was Atish Ghosh. Uh, so uh, he was a hardware um, electrical engineer. He was the designer of the Midway Carburac Two, the MCR Two, which is the hardware set that powers things like Tron and Satan's Hollow, and uh, went on a derivative of uh, MCR Two. Went on to be the Spy Hunter hardware. Stuff like that. So the three of us were very, um, you know, we were very frustrated. We, we really wanted to be in, in a, we, we wanted roles that were more than support roles. Yes. And all of us were, all of us were very much in support roles. Um, a product would come in either from Arcade. Uh, the guys at Arcade did, uh, just to, to give you some, some context, they did Omega Race and they did. Oh, um, wow. You know, they did Solar Fox. I don't know if you ever saw that game. Yeah, they did, yeah. uh, uh, I'm trying to think of all the other arcade game, uh, arcade engineering games, but um, really bright guy, a uh, guy named uh, Ron, Ronnie Halliburton, also ended up being a mentor to me many years later. Uh, but um, Ronnie and, 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 and Dave Nutting, those guys would bring product in, but the product would not be really ready to go into production. And, it, and so 
guys like Atish and Bill Adams and myself were very involved in, in trying to get those products to a state where the company could mass produce them. And the same thing with a lot of the Japanese licenses from the time, you know, they were, we were doing a lot of licensing with, you know, you guys know Namco and, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the, the license and all of those, all those products, you know, Galaga, Galaxian, all that stuff. Right. Um, and so, you know, I was touching a lot of different things. I was, uh, you know, I think I did, the art department got in trouble, and I think I helped them out with like the Galaxian control panel art. <laughs> it was like weird, weird, you know, weird stuff like that. But uh, the three of us really wanted to design games, and you know, we were way into games, and we were playing games, and you know, we were. Um, and so the company had gone out and um, gotten uh, the Tron license, and we we had actually had been working. We were pitching. We were working. We had started working on Satan's Hollow. Um, we actually started it before Tron, but we didn't. It didn't really ship until after Tron, right. um, if I recall. Um, I think we put it aside when, when the Tron thing happened. Yeah. Um, the The company had gotten the Tron license, and um, they they decided they were going to have a playoff amongst arcade and Dave Nutting and, and, you know, and the best game design or the, the game design they thought was, was, was the better best game design would, would go on to become the game. And, and we begged, um, Bill and, and, uh, Tish and I begged, uh, to be involved in the competition. <laughs> and so, yeah, you know, we, we put something together and we took an MCR two and we, and, and we, we took, we really took the notion of a competition to heart. And so we, uh, we jammed on this thing and, and tried, you know, tried to generate a prototype. And, you know, I did a lot of looks and feels stuff and we got scripts from, um, you know, we got scripts from Disney. We didn't get, didn't really get a lot of visuals. We got a little bit of visual. We got some visuals, but, um, so so um so Disney did have no no involvement in the game itself like they, they didn't guide you on, on what on what they wanted or anything like that you just went out and said no nah, this is what we have You're talking about Disney? Yeah, yeah. No, they they actually um they they just sent us the scripts and we picked out what oh. we were going to do. Basically okay, that's good. we did that. Yeah, you know, I mean some of it um it's it's kind of interesting because uh, once we got into it, um, so you know, long story short, we went to the playoffs, and 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 Dave and Dave Nutting and 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 the guys at Arcade, they just had a conversation, and I think that the management guys saw a lot of passion in what we had put together, and so we we got a shot at it, and okay. and so you know, which was. And it was a big shot, you know, it was like, I mean, it was like our sort of our claim to fame, you know, mm-hmm. that made us. Re- it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah, it was a big, yeah. you know, it, it, big deal for us. And, um, and we did, and the company did really well with the game. So we, so we got a lot, of, we got a lot more freedom. We got to, you know, with that basically, um, that, uh, you know, Tron essentially empowered that little development group, which you've heard some, I don't know if you've heard the name Heart Street, but it, it became the Heart Street group. And that, that, that okay. was us. Heart Street was just, it was a, it was an empty warehouse. The com- the company had on Heart Street <laughs> and they, yeah, they okay. pushed it. <clears throat> they pushed us out there and we, so we set up shop there and uh, that's where that comes from. But, 
um, it was that group that, um, you know, we built and we, we hired guys like Brian Colin, who, you know, went on to, you know, and Jeff Nauman, they, you know, those guys went on to do rampage and oh, a lot cool. of other, a lot of their product. Um, but, but that all was born of the fact that, you know, we built Tron, we had success with Tron and then they gave us some running room. And, and then, you know, we, you know, we did spy hunter. We did, we did a lot of things. Um, um, but, um, uh, yeah. So, I mean, no, on Tron, uh, Disney uh, had more to say. They were much more concerned with um, sort of the aesthetics of things, like the cabinet. They, they, you know, they they made suggestions on what art we should use, and they made they made they made. Um, I remember um, I spent a lot of time that winter going back and forth between Disney Studios, um, where they were producing the actual film, and 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 us because the. The game, uh, you know, I don't know if you know this, but so Valley at the time owned Midway Games and they owned Aladdin's Castles, the arcade chain. Right. And they uh -huh. decided that the, the deal was that we were going to launch the game um, after they were going to run a, a game competition. They were going to put Trons in all the Aladdin's Castles all over the country. And the winner uh, of the local tournaments, the local Tron tournaments, were going to go to a big playoff in New York City, Madison Square Garden. There were going to be 36 Tron games. And then uh, all these kids from, you know, these, these 36 kids are going to be flown up for the tournament. Everyone, then we're, we're going to go to uh, lunch at a, at a fancy restaurant. We're going to meet the stars. And we're going to go to the movie premiere in New York. Um, and that's what happened. That did. But, but the... The hassle was that, you know, we had to have the game done. So we were working on the game at the same time they were working on the movie. So the two things were, were uh, like sort of working concurrently. So I would fly out to Disney Studios. I would um, when I was there, I would work with a guy named Richard Taylor, who was the effects director uh, for the film. And um, and so, you know, and I would say, hey, you know, we're thinking about this, we're thinking about that, and 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 so you know, you've heard the story about the grid bugs, right? They put the, they put the, they basically the grid bugs ended up on the cutting room floor, but we didn't know it. So we had, you know, we had built an entire wave around the uh, grid bugs, and oh. when I back, oh. I went back to this, I was like, and uh, I said, what happened to the grid bugs? And I say, oh yeah, we cut them out. I was like, oh, guys, we built a whole wave around this. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> They, they put them back in for like 30 seconds, you know, like not even <laughs> two seconds. And it was the guy's says, oh, grid bugs. Okay. Mm. <laughs> so, wow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it was interesting times. It was a lot of fun. Um, I, uh, I learned a lot and, uh, um, you know, we jammed. I mean, it was a, it was a full, um, we did something we'd never done before we had. So we had uh, typically in that era, like a couple of guys could build a game, you know, like, uh, you know, three guys could build a game, two, three guys. could. And um, is that, is that from the cabinet side of it and the software side of it? The, the whole, the whole yeah, so suite, I suppose. The... Software and art, you know, video art. Wow. Art. Yeah. And it was just a couple of guys. And, and uh, if you look at the games from that era, it, you know, it, they were always just two, three people. And, and the um, you know, assuming that you had, you know, you had hardware to work on. Right. Um, and so the, so, but what we did is uh, Bill very intelligently decided that uh, because the time was so tight, um, he, he basically 
uh, assigned a programmer, one programmer to each wave in the game. In the original game, we had we had planned five waves. The fifth wave was what you know of as Dissertron, mm-hmm. which was which ended up being the sequel because we just didn't have the we didn't have the the the, the hardware resources to actually pull it off, and we tried yeah. and and we're like five okay. levels onto it, kind of thing onto the yeah, hardware. Yeah, yeah. You know hardware of the time uh it was it was taxed just to do that one wave and so so we um so we ended up punting on it and and it became it became the sequel to the game um and so you know the four waves that you know the you know tanks mcp the um the io tower um and the light cycles became mm-hmm. the game so um uh yeah, so I mean, I think that uh, uh, we had a programmer per wave, and then Bill acted as sort of the the architect that tied it all together. And he actually um, he had a lot of really good game sense in terms of timing of you know what the game felt like. And so the, between it, you know, between the three of us playing the game all the time, we you know we, we, he dialed it all in and 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 put pull, pull it all together. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that was, you know, that was unheard of at the time. It, it turns out, so the, the programmer for the tank wave, I worked, I worked really closely, um, on the tank wave with him and, and he ended up being my partner on, on Spy Hunter, uh, a couple of years later, Tom Leon, a guy named Tom Leon. Uh, so yeah, so I mean, that's, uh, it was an interesting time. Yeah. Cool. Oh, this one. I've got a couple of questions about Tron and uh, Spy Hunter, uh, George. So, um, with Tron, uh, it's quite an iconic. Uh, there's a quite iconic uh, collector's pieces, I suppose, in the arcade community now. Um, so I, was, I think you might have answered one of the questions really, but um, with with the, with it being two different cabinets, I think you've answered that one. But one of the questions I was going to get you just to talk a bit about was the. Um, was the black light, you know, and the uh, the glow of the cabinet and the uh, yeah how, how that came about? Because I think it's quite yeah. an interesting kind of little uh, little take there on that one. Right. So it's it was a little bit of an accident, to tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> you know, one of the happy product development accidents that happened. <laughs> like you know, um, so I was working late, uh, and I was working on the uh, the actual the initial presentation. Uh, this is before we had even gotten the go-ahead to do the game, and uh, and we were sort of jamming to get uh, something together uh, to show the executive team so they could you know green light us to do the game. And uh, coincidentally, we just uh, by chance we we were having a problem with the switch in the joysticks. Uh, we were using the joystick in um, Gorf and. We were having a problem with the joystick with the switch, where the switch was wearing out, and um, and and so um, I wanted to understand what was going on with the joystick, but the joystick was you know was black plastic on um, on Gorf, so I couldn't really see inside to see what was going on with the switch, and it wasn't you know it, it was this is way before CAD, right? We were still yeah. working on drawing boards, and so you know today. Today in CAD, I could see exactly what you know what's happening inside the part, but catching or causing a problem. Yeah, right. So I so I had asked the vendor, the you know the injection molding house that made the the part, 
um, I'd asked them to mold me uh, like clear versions of the control group. And, um, and so they molded me these clear versions and, you know, they, the guy warned me, he said, you know, they're not, they're made out of styrene. They're not ABS like the black ones. So you don't, don't put them on the street, you know, because they're not going to last, <laughs> but you can look inside, you know, they're clear. So you can look inside and see what's going on with the switch. And I was like, great, perfect. So I had these things, uh, I had some of the clear ones, uh, sitting on my desk, um, at work and, I was working with the blacklight because the reason I was working on the blacklight is because I had seen uh, a couple of snapshots of the visuals from the film that they had sent along. Um, they, like I said, they didn't send us much. They sent us some, you know, they sent us some storyboards. They sent us some 35 millimeter slides of, uh, of basically rotoscoped, shots from the film when then you know they would they would use rotoscoping to put the effects into the into the film right because they didn't it was like computer graphics while they while the film pioneered the use of computer graphics not every effect could be done using um using computer computer. yeah so they they still had a lot of old school you know um effects and so they sent me these 35 millimeter slides in, in the slides. I could tell that they had this aesthetic where everything had a glow, you know? Mm. So, um, so basically what I was trying to do is I was trying to figure out a way to make the physical stuff in the cabinet have a similar glow, right. Have a similar look and feel to the film. So I had a black light on my desk and I had the, I had the, um, I had the the clear plastic uh, joysticks on my desk, but with the lights in the room on, um, only things that were fluorescent would actually be excited by the black light. And and I, you know, I didn't notice that the the grips were glowing or anything. I went, uh, I went to leave. It was like seven, seven, eight o'clock at night. I I go to leave my office. I, I flipped the lights off and I forgot to turn off the black light. And I look over at my desk and the, the joysticks are just glowing. Like they're glowing blue. Like, you know, <laughs> I was like, it's cool. I was like, wow, what, look at that. So, I, I, you know, I turned the lights, I turned yeah. the lights off and, or t- turned the lights back on, went back in and started <laughs> working with, oh my God, I got to get these joysticks to glow. So, yeah. uh, next day I called the vendor and I tell him, I says, you got to get me, you know, any, and now today, clear ABS, uh, plastic is not a big deal. It's used all the time. Um, yeah. back in those days, it didn't exist yet. So, um, uh, the plastic that was typically the tough plastic that from the era that was used was polycarbonate. The polycarbonate is still used today, but back then, when you wanted something that was transparent or, or translucent, mm. uh, you specified polycarbonate. And so I, I tell this guy, I said, okay, shoot them out of polycarbonate for me. So the guy, you know, he says to me, well, he says, um, okay, we, we'll, we'll see if we can do that. And so they, so they did that. They, they came back and they didn't glow. And I was like, oh, man, this is, you know, so I, I bring the guy in. I said, look, this one glows. This one doesn't glow. What's up? And 
This is all, yeah, it's because um, the polycarbonate's got all these UV light inhibitors, um, which most plastics nowadays have, right? Because it's what makes plastics last, and you know, because they're mm-hmm. everything. You know, the sun, the sunlight has tons of ultraviolet light in it, right? And so what happens is that that stuff degrades plastics and eventually, you know, they... Yeah, lies and brittles, doesn't it? Yeah, brittles and then then it self-destructs. And so so I, I tell this guy, I said, okay, polycarbonate, great, take the UV inhibitors out. And the guy says, you sure you want to do that? I say, oh, yeah, yeah, I want to take the UV inhibitors out. So he takes the UV inhibitors out, breaks me another set, and, oh, my God, they glow, right? So <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, so I, I said, that's it. So that's what we showed. And um, and so, you know, in, in, in a, in eventually, like, you know, two years in, I find out from the parts department that all these things are self-destructing because the ultraviolet <laughs> would would degrade the plastic and then they'd have to replace them. Mm. <laughs> but they, they glowed great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, very, so, yeah, it's a great, it's a great little, uh, so how, how it all kind of some of it came, came about by accident, but, uh, it's, yeah. yeah, it's a really cool, uh, cool little bit of history that I think. Yeah. I mean, know. I think that, you know, it's, there's, those are, you know, I'm a big fan of, uh, there's a quote that says, uh, you know, endeavor and providence will provide, right? Yeah. And yeah. I'm not entirely sure who they attribute it to. Sometimes they attribute it to the German philosopher Goethe, but but I, I really believe that. You know, I mean it's like if you, you sit on your you sit on your hands, nothing's gonna happen. But if you if you're trying stuff, if you're doing this, that, and the other thing, yeah. uh, good things will happen, right? And that that that's I mean that I think that story tells that tale. Yeah, yeah, no, it's very good, very good, love it. And I, I was lucky enough to play one of those machines because back back when I was a kid, when that came out, uh, I was around I don't know, nine or ten. So we didn't really see. I didn't ever really saw Tron in the UK. I'm originally from the UK, but um, there's a there's a huge um, retro arcade that opened up in the UK around four or five years ago, and I got went back to the UK, and uh, they had Tron there. So. Uh, it was great to give it a go and see it just glow in there. It stands out so much uh, compared to a lot of the other machines of the time. Um, just from the, you know, the, the black okay. light and, and everything. It's an amazing we, thing to, 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 to walk up to and look at. I, yeah, I mean, in the, you know, the, um, I'm very proud of that, uh, of the way that thing came out. Uh, I, I think at the time it was, uh, it was definitely a showstopper. Um, when people saw it, um, and it was, uh, you know, all these very, very bright colors against the satin black, you know, um, that cockpit area is actually from Gorf. That molded cockpit is from the Gorf cabinet. Right. And, mm-hmm. and while I put the, you know, I put the, the image of the, M, the, the MCP, uh, you know, behind it. Right. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, those cabinets, uh, I've, I've seen a couple of pristine, like totally restored ones and, uh, and they, they seem to have, it, it, they seem to have re- they resonate with guys that were, you know, little at the time and that's what they were playing because so many people have come up to me after, you know, uh, um, and you know, they're grown ups now and they, but they own them and they have to have them and they remember them fondly and, yeah. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. Very cool. 
All right. Um, so, okay, just moving on to uh, 1983 then, uh, George, with Spy Hunter. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's one game that I was lucky to play on. I was, I was about 10 years old, I think. And I and they had the um, the sit down version of Spy Hunter in there. Yeah, me in too. The holiday holiday arcade that we used to go to each year. So it was there for a few years, uh, and it was probably uh, ten years old. It was probably one of the first times I got behind some pedals, a wheel, you know, and a shifter. So um, it was a really cool experience as a young kid to to you know to 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 get behind some controls like that and play play a game that uh, had great graphics at the time. Um, can you tell us a little bit maybe about Spy Hunter? Um, I've got a feeling yeah. what the influences are from it, but um, I, maybe I'll let you talk a little bit about just, just the, the Spy Hunter project. Right. So um, so after the success of Tron, um, you know, we, um, the, you know, the, the company, uh, as a perk, they sent me to the, uh, the, the big t- uh, Tokyo coin opera game show, uh, which at the time was called the JAMA show. Right. Uh, JAMA was an acronym for the, you know, the Japanese amusement game association or something like that. And, yes. um, and so, uh, I was in Tokyo and it was the era of the Walkman, you know, the Walkman <laughs> had uh, just come out and, um, you know, I was a young, I, I was a young guy. I was, uh, must've been 26 something in, you know, in that time frame, uh, 25, 26. And, um, you know, here I'm in Tokyo. I'm, you know, my, 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 I mean, my, my circuit breakers are, are popped. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, it's so it's, it's like, <laughs> you know, it's sensory overload, right? <laughs> like another world, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. If you've been it's to good. Japan, it's, uh. Right. It's just sensory overload, especially, you know, coming from the States. It was, you know, the like their, you know, the entertainment district there with all the arcades and all the neon and all that stuff going on. So I pick up, I buy a Walkman and along with the Walkman, I buy a bunch of cassettes and I bought I bought a cassette of uh, James Bond's greatest hits. Right. Uh, And I was, you know, I was a big James Bond fan. Um, always wanted to do a James Bond game. Uh, uh, Bill Adams and I were always talking about it, uh, you know, and Atish. We would go out to lunch, we'd talk about a James Bond game, etc. And at the time, you know, so, so you know, I'm, I'm on the plane flying back listening to this cassette. And the thing about that music is that you always remember the films and the scenes from the films relative to the music. Mm-hmm. So... Um, you know, there's always that, there's always a scene where the odds are against him and, you know, uh, it's, you know, five to one odds and he's got, you know, he's got to do his thing and yes. you know, the, the music, you know, the music goes from a certain state, uh, and as the music and as the action happens the music the you know the, the the you know the music transitions to reflect what's going on and and there's that sort of you know the, there's that that epic feeling like you know he's a you know he's in this he's in this life or death battle and he's gonna you know he's gonna over you know he's gonna overcome but but there's there's uh you know there's just that incredibly impactful and emotional sound soundtrack related to the events in the film right and yeah. mm-hmm. and i'm thinking you know how do we do this in a game right how do we 
do some sort of a music thing that has to do with, you know, what you're doing in the game. And so, um, you know, that, that thought starts, you know, I mean, it just sort of starts percolating in my head based on the, the, the cassette, based on the James Bond music, et cetera. And we get back and, and I'm talking to those guys and we're, we're out to lunch one day and there was another movie from that era, uh, a movie called Blue Thunder. I don't know if you ever saw it. It was a helicopter. The, the chopper. The chopper. Uh, yeah, film. police helicopter. It was a yeah. police helicopter with a lot of weapons, right? With a lot of advanced weaponry. Yeah. And, you know, we went back and forth about, do we do a... You know, we wanted to do some sort of a of a of a flying or mo- or driving game. Do we do a driving game with you know? Is it is it a James Bond car, or you know, is it this helicopter? You know, like Blue Thunder, yeah. with weapons mm-hmm. and stuff. And I started talking about you know the notion of the music and and so um, you know the idea was that when you know when you had weapons. You had, you know, bad guys were going to show up, and you were, and you were going to get music, and and you know when you didn't, the music was going to transition back to a, a more calm um, state kind of thing. Calm state, exactly. <laughs> so, so um, we started out on the we started the project. The project wasn't even a sanctioned company project. It was sort of a it was a back burner project, and. Uh, and Bill had said to me, why don't you work, you know, you work, you and Tom worked pretty well together on that tank wave in Tron. Why don't you guys, why don't you guys work on this? And, and, and Tom and I are both Cuban, but, you know, um, our heritage is Cuban. We, you know, we're born in, we were, we were born in Havana and we both immigrated to the States, um, you know, in the early 60s and, so we, we really, uh, you know, we were children of the Cold War. We sort of were, you know, we were way into the whole spy thing and all that, you know, and, and, and we would drive home uh, together and uh, sometimes we'd stop at his mom's house. His mom would make Cuban food and then, you know, we, we'd stop and get food. And we started talking about the game and, and we, di- we didn't even have a, 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 like, it wasn't a company project. We were just started messing around with the game. Yeah. And I took a, I had a 18 inch. Uh, wide roll of uh, drawing paper and I and I drew out this road you know like I just kept rolling the paper out and for a long time he had this roll in his cubicle right <laughs> and, it was, it, and it, the, the, the road went like all the way around his cubicle <laughs> on the wall <laughs> and um and then you know he would write you know we would write on the right on the paper we would write all the different things that you know it happened or were gonna happen, etc. And so I, you know, I had the road. I had drawn a couple of different uh, things, you know, the car, events happening with the car and stuff. Um, and we started developing this game. Um, you know, we got to a point. We had gotten to a point where we had we had this problem where so the car going into the truck was a thing that. You remember Night Rider, right? Had the, yeah, yeah. Had the truck car, right? That's and, so cool, yeah. And we were, uh, I, I was really upset that I didn't want the, the car to grow weapons. It That seemed so fake to me. You know, that yeah. was like, you know, that like, 
well, where did you get these? Where they come from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, how do you reload his missiles? You know, like, I mean, it was like that. That would it. I know it's you know I know it happens in video games all the time and nobody thinks about it but but unfortunately you know sometimes that's the way I think and I and at the time it bothered me that the car would do this stuff and so I start pushing Tom and let let's get let's make this truck and and he hated the truck he didn't want the truck he was like no I don't I don't want you know we don't need the truck and I was like no no I want this truck this truck mm. you know? and uh, to the point where I you know I. I sculpted those grips and I made that controller and all that stuff. And I put a big button in the center and I said, this is the truck button. And he calls the truck <laughs> and he's like, I don't, this is crazy. What do we call the truck? And it, it, you know, and it was a lot of work for him, right? It was yeah. like a, a ton of work, you know, make this truck show up and what's the logic behind this truck and all this. And um, so, but to me at, at, at the time, I just knew that, that we had to have the truck and, uh, what's interesting is that it turns out that once we got the truck in the game, the truck became an element of strategy because the one thing that we hadn't, you know, we hadn't really thought about how, you know, what was going to enable you to, um, get more stuff, right? Mm. Like, you know, you used up all your stuff. Okay. Now, you, now how do we, what allows it. you to earn it? Right. Mm. And, and how do you get it? And it turned out that the truck became an element of strategy in the game. Uh, the all those goofy, um, like the the characters, like the, um, you know, the like I had a, I had a, I had, you know, I had bad guys that, you know, there were tire slashers. I had bad guys that were, you know, like had all these different things. But yeah. the guy that gave those things a lot of personality was actually Brian Cullen, who who. Um, rendered some of those things some of those vehicles and he basically you know between you know I mean, he was like oh this is the slasher because he's you know cut you know the wheel cutters yeah, the tire yeah. cutters. so you know this is a slasher and this is you know um you know um and that, it always used to scare me when that big limo came along and uh, yeah, with a gun yeah. you know from yeah. the other side i used to oh right, no it's always a hard bit I mean, so 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 anyway, so we're working on this thing, and it, and it was totally a like a underground project. It wasn't even sanctioned by the company. And and one of the things that every so often, I think every quarter, the executives in the company toured uh, product development just to see all the different projects. There was like a day where we put on show and tells for every project that was in development. And uh, um, we we weren't on the schedule. The the the, you know that that you know that, uh, we weren't you know our, our our game wasn't on the schedule because it wasn't even a sanctioned product. But at the time, you know the the business was uh, plummeting. I mean, it was like you know the the, the beginning of the crash of '84, right? It was it was yeah. the beginning of the crash of '84, and and um, the company's fortunes were not in great shape. And and my boss uh, was aware that we were tinkering with this game, but no one else knew. And so he, he at the 11th hour, while the, while the executive team is going from show and tell to show and tell, he said to me, he goes, you guys ought to show that driving uh, game that you guys are working on. And, uh, and I said, well, it's, it's, like, it's like not showable. And it's like, oh, <laughs> it's no. not a game yet, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah, it's just like it's not showable. And yeah. he's like, no, no, you got to show it. So. 
all right, so they, they came in, they saw it, right? And um, at the time, we, we actually, um, we even had, we had uh, digitized the James Bond music. And it, and it had the James Bond music. We had been playing it with James Bond music for like as long as we'd been working on it. We had been playing it with the um, with the James Bond music, and and they loved it. They were like, "Oh, you know, well, when can we? When can we? You know, when can we put this on test?" And I was like, "Oh no, no, you don't understand. This is like so. This is like light years from test. We can't <laughs> test this." And and they were like, "No, no, we got to test this." So so my boss afterwards. He sat down, he sits down with us and he goes, okay, so what's it going to take to get it on test? And we're like, well, maybe we could test, you know, maybe we could test it, you know, in some limited fashion. We could test it. We could do this, that, and the other thing. At the same time, we got a licensing guy to start looking into the James Bond theme because we were using it. And um, we didn't, you know, we didn't have a name. We didn't have anything. And, uh, uh, and so you know, we start getting, trying to get the game ready to go to test. Now there's a mad scramble um, to test the game or to get the game ready to go to test. And um, the licensing guy, Tom Neiman, comes back and he says, hey, uh, I can't get James Bond. And it was like, why? And he says, oh, no, it's like, I forget whether they didn't want to do a deal or it was too expensive, whatever it was, we can't get James Bond. And we're like, and I'm, 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 I'm like, I'm like, what? What? I mean, th- th- this whole game is this. Yeah, and okay. uh, he says, what about Peter Gunn? And I was like, Peter Gunn? And he's like, yeah, Peter Gunn. And we're like, oh, man, I don't know. Peter Gunn is, yeah, yeah, Peter <laughs> Gunn. So we go get Peter Gunn and we replace the James Bond music with Peter Gunn. And um, which, which, by the way, people come up to me all the time, young people that don't know Peter Gunn, and they say to me, Dude, the spy hunter, the spy, that's the spy hunter song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's very much a, a main part, like, a big part of that like, game. I don't, think, I don't think Henry Mancini, you know, who wrote Peter <laughs> 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 probably appreciates that that there's a, uh, you know, current generations think his, his, his dude all Came the from spy. Yeah. Name. <laughs> well, the first time I heard that, that, that theme was in Spy Hunter. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You and you and everybody, you know, your age and, and forward, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, so we um, so we put it in, and and actually in the beginning we hated it, you know, because we were just so used to the James Bond thing, we didn't like it, and um, so we uh, it started growing on us. We didn't have any choice, so we went with it. Um, the stuff in between, it was kind of cool because what happened is that. Uh, it got really repetitious and we decided that, you know, it was going to make people crazy, you know? And so, uh, one of the, there were two sound guys working on it, a guy named Bob Levy, Bob Levy. Um, and, and it sound, you know, generating sound for games back then, those guys were programmers. They were musicians and programmers. They weren't, you know, it's not like uh, today you just have to be a musician. You don't have to be a programmer to yeah. put, you know, to to make and and actually they i think they want you to be a musician they don't want you to be a programmer right so but but back then uh the technology required that those guys were actually um you know writing the music as a function of code and so uh this guy wrote um we actually got a 
I think we got a patent on a thing called the artificial artist. And what it was is all those little jazz riffs that fill in uh, the, the, the game randomly selects and, and they all like make together and sound like they work. And so the game, oh, that's cool. yeah. And so it's like, you ever look at, if you ever look inside a spy hunter, I think the, sound hardware is called the artificial artist because um uh and i think we might have trademarked that you know like artificial artist tm you know and because uh it took those jazz riffs and it it could it could select from any one of them and that and the game sounded very fresh every time you played it because you know it had stylistically sounded the same but but the but the actual tune that you heard in between um, in between uh, uh, Peter Gunn was those those jazz riffs, right? That's that really cool. That's a, that's a really really good idea. That's great. Yeah, it was. You know, we did we did a lot with very little back in those days. Everything, the graphics. You know, like the um, we had um, the MCR system was a system that was designed uh the influence for the mcr system was a lot of the japanese uh hardware sets that had a lot of foreground moving objects you know games like like i don't know if you've, you've ever seen a game called moon cresta and stuff yep, like that you know games from that era are uh, were the were the inspiration for the design of that hardware and and, and the mcr the original mcr that we did uh, Satan's Hollow and Tron on and and um, that the, and that was the ba- that that hardware set became the basis of the next ten years of Midway Hardware and and it had um, it had a foreground plane and a background plane and the foreground plane was intended to be just crap loads of moving objects and they, it used sprites that were thirty two pixels by thirty two pixels you could tie them together so you could make like you know. Uh, you know, 64 by 32 uh, size rectangle of, of, or image. Uh, and then the background stuff was intended to not, you know, was, there was like a buffer and it would page very slowly. It would fill in the background. The background was intended to be just that background, like background graphics didn't have a lot of dynamic motion. And so there was half the resolution, 16 by 16 pixel picture blocks. And, uh, and so, when we went to do Spy Hunter, we didn't have a hardware set. We we didn't have anything that scrolled, and and so um, uh, you know one of the other one of the other hardware guys, a guy named Kerry Mendick, um, he he uh, took the MCR two and he figured out how to buffer a page of video uh, ahead of so that so basically you were streaming those pages in. Um, in such a way that it appeared seamless, you know, even though it really, really wasn't. Uh, and so, um, you know, I mean, we did a lot with very little. Those, those hardware sets, you know, that, that Z80, the Zilog Z80 uh, processor that was on those hardware sets, um, we got a lot of mileage out of that thing. Very good. Very nice. I, I I always loved the. Uh, it was always tense when you called the truck, try to get that get yeah. lined up, so you could get inside the truck that way. They've become a really good part of the game, actually, because uh, it was a lot of fun trying to get in there. 
Yep. <laughs> All right, so cool. does uh, John fire another question? Okay, this this is a weird one, I think. Um, now, how will you or Bally Midway approach to you Satan's Hollow in the teen flick Joysticks in 1983? How is what? Say again. Um, how will you approach... Um, with using Satan's Hollow in the teen flick Joysticks in 1983. Did you know that was in there? Oh, yeah. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Vague that. It's a main it's a main point in the in the end of the film. They do a little competition between between two people playing Satan's Hollow yeah. with, with giant joysticks. It's, it's, yeah, yeah, so it's ridiculous. <laughs> right. We had, um, you know, the... I mean, I think the PR guys would, uh, you know, they would they would try to do product placement with mm-hmm. the games a lot, and uh, I think that's how that ended up there. Yeah, oh, Saints yeah. Hollow was uh, Saints Hollow was was really Bill's game. Um, he really wanted to build that game, uh, and uh, you know, he the the conversations about you know how did it become Satan's Hollow? Well, the conversations. Remember at the time, and again, this you know this will frame it for you. But remember at the time there were all those, um, you know, movies like The Exorcist and Damien yeah. and those, you know like devil movies. And that was like <laughs> a thing, you know. It's like, and and you know he wanted like the he wanted an uh, like an opponent, and he wanted the most evil opponent. And so, you know, he's like you know, like Satan. And we're like, oh, all right. And then so he's, he, um, and I, you know, I was big on, like I would make two columns. I would write words on two columns and then we'd mix match. And that's how we came up with Spy Hunter, by the way. And, um, and, and so, you know, we would, we would mix and match stuff. Right. And so he kept describing this castle and this moat and crossing the moat and all this. And, and, um, I don't know. I had hollow on one side. I had Satan on the other. Satan's hollow. You know, the King Satan's hollow. Um, and uh, um, I did those bird patterns. You know, all the bird patterns? Yeah. And it's like, so he comes into my office one day and he goes, you know, I need, I'm like, what should these birds do? It's like, and I was like, all I got them doing is flying across back and forth. And he's like, eh, why don't we do some patterns? And it's like, what? And he's like, you know, like figure eight and some other stuff like that. And he's like, oh, that's genius. I want that. Yes. And so he says, yeah. he goes, make me some sketches. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I did like, you know, I spent a couple hours making like stupid sketches of birds flying around in different patterns. And, and that's, what's in the game. <laughs> we had like, like, you know, they're like those birds flap their wings. It's like the entire animation. I think it's like three frames, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Up, up, middle, down, up, middle, down. <laughs> you know? That's so, a- uh, it's such a good, a, a good challenging game, that game. I, I played it competitively a few years ago and uh, really got to understand how it all worked and stuff. And uh, it's still a great game. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was, you know, uh, um, again, it's, you know, the, you know, you, you look at, if you look at the games of the time, the games we were playing, the games that were, you know, we loved Galaxian, right? We were playing Galaxian. We're playing, you know, we're playing Galaga with the bass that moves back and forth, right? So um, I think, I think, you know, you, 
you know, every everything you play, everything you do is is in some you know it, it's the context that that influences you, and, and you know the thing right. you, you create is some derivative thereof or some new vision of that, right? And so uh, I think that's uh, yeah. But Satan's Hollow. So you know, it turns out that that, that it was a horrible name. The 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 world was a lot different than it is today, and and um, the southern. <laughs> United States was very religious, and and um, they did not like the notion of uh, uh, Satan being used in any way, shape or. <laughs> so we didn't sell a lot of those games. We did, you know, and the sales guys came back and we go, man, you got, we 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 really screwed up. We should never call this thing Satan's Hollow. People, it, the the name is uh, will, is killing sales in the South in the Southern United States. Nobody's going to buy this game. So, you know, it's like live and learn, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Right. yeah. Nintendo. I don't imagine Nintendo. Uh, <laughs> Nintendo and, and their uh, way that they definitely wouldn't have had it on their system either, would they? <laughs> yeah. Nintendo, uh, their approach for the. Yeah, it's it's an iconic classic uh, though today for sure. It's got a lot of uh, a lot of people who still follow it and uh, and love having it in the collection. You, ever, you know, speaking of product placement, have you ever seen the Pontiac? Um, you know the 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 old American car company Pontiac did a a, a television commercial like in it would have been like in two thousand and eight right around there uh, using Spy Hunter. Have you ever seen that? No, no, no. Oh uh, yeah, see if I can find it. Um, it actually might be. I don't. know If you guys friend me on Facebook, uh, I might. Uh, I think it might might be on my in in one of the one of my Facebook videos. Oh, fantastic! But, uh, yeah. Oh, it's really cool. They, um, they, they, they called us, you know, I did, I did two tours of duty at, at, um, Midway, right. The tour duty in the early seven, you know, from the, from the late seventies into like 84, 85 and that time frame. And then I went back to Midway. I ran, um, uh, I worked on Xbox and PlayStation stuff for about nine years from like, I want to say, like 2000 until like 2008 when Midway blew up and yeah. uh, and it was right in that time frame in 07 or something like that they were coming out with a, a car and um, I think it was called a G8 I can't remember now but um, the car they were coming out with was intended to a- appeal to the demographic that was playing Spy Hunter as a kid and so they created this entire commercial where it starts out and it's like spy hunter as you know it and then it translates into a three-dimensional world with the real car as the as the spy hunter car you got to see this thing i mean it's really (laughs) awesome (laughs) the ad agency calls them you know is it okay we do this and we're like oh absolutely (laughs) (laughs) and it was like you know it was intended i don't know the the audience for the car the audience for the demographic for the car was like you know th- at the time it was 30 year old males or 32 year old males or something and, and then they, oh these are the guys who were playing spy hunter you know <laughs> when they were 14 so um yeah yeah uh, cool all right so i've just got i've got one question i'll go over to Daz, and i think he'll talk cool. a little bit about pinball um so from your design work over the years what, what would you say is one of your most proudest moments Oh man, that's tough. Um, <laughs> um, so you know, I I was a toy inventor for five years, and I you know I, I worked on as you know the early uh, late seventies, early eighties uh, 
you know, coin op video games. And I've done, uh, I think I've designed uh, to date something like 18 different pinball machines. Yeah, and, uh, I did, you know, I worked on NBA Ballers, the video game uh, yes. as Midway, that second tour. Um, and so I, I don't, and I, I've done a bunch of, no, I did a bunch of novelty games in between. I did a, a novelty game called Hawk Avenger, you know, like a, like the old Whirly Bird games, uh, flying inside a cabinet. Uh, yes. Yeah. I remember um, that's my first, uh, insight to the arcades. I think we used to see those, uh, yeah. Magnetic games, you know, things like that. Um, so it, it's hard to say. It's really it's really difficult to say. I have fond memories. I'm very blessed, right, I've, to have spent, uh, to, to date, uh, uh, 42 years I've been doing this. And um, for 42 years I've been really blessed that I've been creating uh, entertainment products. And I don't know. You know, it's like I have I have fond memories of certain toys I invented and I have fond memories of things like Spy Hunter and Tron. And I have fond memories of many of the pinball machines that I've that I've designed. It's really hard to say this one versus that one. Yeah. You know, there's there's some that I think somebody asked me uh, in a podcast not long ago, you know, you know, what would you change? And I can tell you this. I can tell you that there's things, there's games and and products that I've designed that I've that I would say I, I wouldn't change. Um, yeah. But there's also lots of products that I've designed that I've said that I would say, yeah, I would change that. <laughs> so, it's a lot easier, isn't it, in hindsight to look back over it and critique you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's hard. You know, it's like so games like okay, the work, right? This is the work, and the work. The work uh, lives in a in a time capsule, in my in my experience, right? It, in in everyone else's experience, it lives in a broader time capsule where where you know they when they engaged with it or when they interacted with it, they loved it or they didn't like it, whatever it was. And and for me, there's this intensity the super high level of intensity that goes into making these things, right? Because you pour your heart and soul into them and you live them for, <clears throat> you live them for so long and every day is a fight. You know, it's a fight to get it to work. It's a fight to make it. It's a fight to convince management that it needs to be made. It's a, it's, you know, there's, you have competitors that want to kill you and you have, you know, all this <laughs> stuff. A lot of road, there's a lot of roadblocks, isn't there, to get it, get it on there, to get it there yeah. eventually. So, so I think, so I think what I, what I take away, what I enjoy, and I, when I think back finally is that all those games, all those things that I've, that I've worked on, they take me back to that period of my life and they, I can tell you, you know, when I play them, they bring back memories about everything that was going on in my life at the time, you know, and, and, and everything that, and I know all the battles I fought to build the thing, <clears throat> to get the thing built and, 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 and designed and everything else. And, and, you know, the fights with my compatriots in arms, the guys that I was working with on the game and the fights with outside of the teams and the fights, you know, in your life, in your personal life, because these games consume, you know, they consume so much of your life that they, 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 you know, spill over and they impact relationships and they impact, you know, your family life and all kinds yeah. of other things. Right? So, 
Um, so it's it's tough to say that, um, <clears throat> you know, this one's my favorite or that one's my favorite. I have, you know, I have memories of, of all of them. And I, I think um, I don't I don't re- you know, I like I said, I'm, I'm blessed to have gotten to do this, you know. Yeah. Understand, understand. It's a t- it's a tricky one to pick. So you, you have such, such a span, a large span of uh, years there of different types of things that you've worked on. So understand. <laughs> but there's definitely some great highlights for sure. Um, okay, Das, over to you. Okay, um, we'll, we'll we'll get to some bit of pinball now because you, you like pinball, don't you, George? <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> How did you get into um, the pinball biz? So. Um, so when I got out of the, when I, okay, so 1984, I don't know if a lot, I don't know how many people in your audience realize this, but in 1984, video games almost ceased to exist. Um, so there was a big crash, um, because, um, there had been a big boom. And the problem with booms is that they, um, they fuel, um, a lot of, you know, they, they attract money and sometimes they attract money, but they don't attract talent. And so you end up creating a lot of things because, um, you know, you, because someone thinks that they can be sold, not necessarily because they're worthy of being sold. Yeah. So, so in that, in that the crash happened because there was a lot of bad product and, um, and there was a, uh, I mean, a lot of bad product. And so, you know, when, um, when, when uh, people would buy the stuff and and it, it didn't have any longevity, and you know, mom would say, you know, no, you, 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 I'm not spending thirty dollars for something you're going to play for five minutes, so we're taking it back. And so when that happens, uh, <clears throat> you're getting a lot of returns, and and returns basically are. Um, you know, collapse the business uh, eventually, um, and so I think that um, I think that you know. So there was the crash of '84, and I decided that I was going to leave midway before they asked me to leave because the company was in a compression mode. You know, they were like they were doing layoffs and were doing this and then the other thing. And I thought, you know, one day somebody's going to come in here and ask me, you know, tell me to pack my shit. And so I, I decided I was going to go before they did that. And I I went to work. At a toy invention house, that basically all we did was invent toys, uh, toy concepts. We'd bring them to prototype stage, and then we would pitch them to all the major toy companies: Mattel, Hasbro, Kenner at the time. You know, every toy company in the world. And they were the this particular uh, consulting firm was called Marvin Glass and Associates. It was the, the most successful inventor of toys in the history of toy invention, and they had. Um, Tremendous reputation and, and tremendous um, cachet with uh, all of the who's who of the toy business. All the com- all the all the big companies would come would go there for ideas, and we um, we basically invented things. It was, a, it was a really cool job. Nobody told you what to work on. Whatever you did that day is what you did that day, and you you worked alone. You invented stuff all the time. You were an invention machine. You would basically just invent stuff and prototype it and then pitch it to the toy companies and toy companies to decide if it was a fit for them or not. And, um, and so, uh, 
So I did that for some number of years, about five years, and and then that firm um, broke up, and um, they had the partners had a fight and broke up the firm, and um, and so I was out of a job. I, I designed novelty games for some amount of time, and then one day I looked at a pinball machine and I thought, wow, that's like a you know that's like a at the time I was like that's like a thirty five hundred dollar toy. That's you know <laughs> that looks pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, as opposed to being in the toy business, I had to, I had to do a lot with very little. You know, I you know, Mabuchi motor, a couple of LEDs, you know, uh, eight ounces of plastic, some you know, some stickers. Got to do something cool. Um, and here I look at this pinball machine and I thought, man, this this thing is like, it's like a world under glass. That's it's a big giant toy. And um, so it seemed interesting to me. And I, uh, I started uh, um, Williams and had acquired the Valley brand by then and, um, and the Midway brand. And, uh, and so I started pitching. I knew, I knew the guys at Williams from my time at Midway, and I started pitching them ideas um, for, for uh, gadgets for pinball machines. And um, <clears throat> they weren't real interested in my gadgets because they 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 had designers inside and the designers wanted to do their own stuff and so they they would they would always look at my stuff and they were bought anything and, and then um they uh, but they wanted to get into the novelty business novelty game business they didn't and they had noticed a couple of my novelty game concepts and so they invited me in to be a designer of novelty games. And then um, what happened is that you know, uh, Capcom had come to town and Capcom had wanted to build a pinball company. Mm-hmm. They had stolen uh, like a William, they had stolen a, a bunch of Williams employees, including a designer and some of, um, you know, a design team, so to speak. And so um, they were short uh, a pinball designer and, and um, you know, they came to see me one day and said, you know, uh, the novelty thing, it's like, yeah, we want to be in it, but we don't think it's as important to our business as the pinball machines. And we're short of pinball machine uh, designer. Do you think you can design pinball machines? And I said, sure. So um, I gave it a shot and uh, it was uh, it was a crap load of work. The first one damn near killed me. And, and um, <laughs> uh and uh you know and here we are i um i i've made a career out of uh, or i've made a a section of my career out of designing pinball machines and and today i'm um as you said in the beginning i'm the chief creative officer of stern pinball we're the largest pinball brand in the world we have uh, about 90 percent of the world market in pinball and we ship uh we ship you know we export pinball all over the world and and so i have a i have a design studio um basically about four different development teams and uh they all develop um the amazing pinball machines that we sell every once in a while i get to i still get to design one but for the most part my job is to uh drive you know drive and manage the product development efforts uh of the company nice nice. i love mustang by the way (laughs) absolutely love mustang it's it's uh, i'm really into the really fantasy type you know, like theater of magic. You know what I mean? That kind of fantasy yeah. sort of thing. But Mustang, oh, there's something about yeah. it that's just—I used to play it an hour at a time. <laughs> I absolutely love that game. 
It's great. So, so it's it's not my design. Uh, one of the guys in the studio did it. Oh, but, I thought uh, you did Mustang. No, no, I didn't. Oh. Uh, I'm very involved in. Um, I was very involved in a, uh, a lot of the promotional stuff, which is probably okay. why you think I. But ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. No, I did. I did Corvette. And that's the other yep. reason people think. Because I, I got confused, that. yeah. Uh, but 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 I, I do have to give you credit for the people two thousand range of Mars. I think that's yeah, yeah. great, so, so absolutely that was, fantastic. That was, you know, well, you can clearly you understand where that came from, right? It yeah. was like my time, my time in video games and my time in, in pinball, and it was a it was a an attempt to blend the two technologies in a way that made sense to the medium, right? Mm-hmm. And so. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, if I, if if you if, if if whoever hasn't seen one of those needs to go find one and, yeah. and understand. Yeah. Well, a, a, a good friend of mine just just purchased one actually, with a with a with a LED um, update kit too. So it hasn't got a CRT anymore, but it looks great with the LCD. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, Revenge, Revenge from Mars was really, really. That's the one that I did, and, and that, that that was a really fun game. Um, I I like that game a lot. Yeah, it's, it's one to be proud of because it's that, that's that's another one of those rare times. Because I'm not that big on pinball. I do like pinball, but um, Revenge from Mars is actually one of the ones that just catches my eye. Like I liked I liked Star Wars, like um, yeah. the you know obviously pinball yeah. two thousand, but I think Revenge of Mars is just just. You know, yeah, a the, lot the better. It's just a better story. game. Those guys. Um, so that particular the, the the Star Wars version of Pinball Two Thousand, I thought was pretty weak to tell you the truth. Uh, mm. I, those guys got really enamored with the notion of um, of the movies that they had access to. Yeah, and so it, they sort of broke the effect by going edge to edge on the monitor, so you could see the outline of the mm. monitor. Right? Yeah, so it's not yeah. So, now it's no longer magical, right? Now it's like I see the monitor. <laughs> it's right? not an illusion, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Not an yeah. illusion. It's, so they so they broke the illusion, which um, which I thought was pretty uh, was, was was it was it was terribly upsetting to me at the time. I, I was like, <laughs> I could, I couldn't even talk to them. I was so upset. But uh, yeah. Um, so, but if you play a Revenge from Mars, um, that's a that's a really nice game. It's a very, very good game. Uh, very good game. A lot of fun. Okay. Um, just a, this, is a, this is a quick one here. Is there a, is there a pinball machine like uh, if, that you've seen over the decades and think, damn, I wish I thought of that. That's an awesome game. Uh, boy, in pinball, um, it's hard to impress me with pinball. Oh. I think, uh, I mean, I, I there's pinball machines that I've really liked, uh, you know, over time. And okay. Pinball or, machines. That- or, 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 or <laughs> ones, or ones, ones that you've thought that this is a, this is a really cool game. It's a lot of fun. Uh, well, without a doubt, uh, some of the ones uh, the, the the predecessor to uh, Revenge from Mars, Attack from Mars by mm-hmm. uh, Brian Eddy, who's a designer that currently works for me. Yeah. Uh, is is was a spectacular game. Brian Eddy and 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 Lyman Sheets, both friends of mine, and both um, the guys that I've collaborated with uh, over the years, and um, uh, amazing game. Uh, another game that those two guys worked on, uh, Medieval Madness, incredible fun. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, 
one, right? Uh, one of the icons of pinball. Um, some of the other games uh, I like, um, you know, I, I mean, a game that influenced me early uh, was Terminator 2. It's a Steve Ritchie game. Uh-huh. Uh, I like that game a lot. Um, I like uh, from from Pat Lawler, I like Funhouse. And, oh, wow. That's uh, a great game. A lot of fun. Yeah. Great game. Um, I like also from Pat Lawler, I like uh, Whirlwind. Great game. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, those are games that, those are games that, um, you know, I, I, I think were really well done. Um, a great, you know, well-crafted and, and, and they endure, um, you know, they're fun today when you play them in, in light That's of true. everything you play. Right. And so, um, my own, my own games, uh, uh, the last game I, I I personally designed, Deadpool, I really like a lot. I still play that. Um, beautiful I design, still, beautiful, beautiful, um, beautiful. Design. Love that love game. It. Love that game. Um, of my, you know, from my from my from my portfolio, I'm I'm, I'm a fan of um, uh, Monster Bash. Um, that I collaborated with uh, my friend Lyman Sheets. He was the programmer, and I was the designer, and so Monster Bash, I like a lot, and I like uh, Lord of the Rings. I like um, my own games. I mean, I, there's there's some games that I like that of my own that that uh, you know maybe maybe the rest of the world doesn't like so much. But I like a game called NBA Fast Break a lot. I like a game called Johnny Mnemonic a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really like. So you, you did Dark Knight as well. Yep. I did Dark Knight, yep. and I also. Man 66. I like both of those games. Yeah, uh, yeah I really like um, Dark Knight. Um, we actually had it yeah. in one of my um, uh, one of the places I worked in um a few years ago, and that was in the in the tea room in the break room. I'm like, okay, I've never seen this before, and the, the, I spend my lunches just playing that. It was great. Loved it. I wish I wish I could take it home. <laughs> I've got you know one of the probably uh, one of the best designers if not the best designer working in pinball today is a guy named Keith Alwyn and who's in my, you know, who's on my staff. And, um, and, uh, you know, he's also happens to be one of the best pinball players in the world, but, but he, um, you know, his Jurassic park game, I, I really like a lot. And his, uh, his Iron Maiden game is, Iron is Maiden. Also very great. Oh wow. Iron Maiden. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a big metal head and that, that, that just blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, he just, he just, um, he's just, he's got a hot hand uh, right now. He's, um, I think he's, I think he's probably, he's probably the best designer working today. Um, and I, and I like, I like his stuff a lot. So, um, I think that, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, I think about pinball is I've seen a lot of, I've seen a lot of stuff over the years and it's it's the ones that it's the ones that endure that you don't get tired of that you keep going back at mm-hmm. that too. And, yeah, um, yeah. The, and, the 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 monsters is another favorite of mine from you guys. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that looks nice. You it's know? beautiful. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. yeah. I had a lot a lot of fun with that one. Um, Texa. Okay. All right. So I think this is George's last question. Thanks very much for your time today. Um, Last question is basically, uh, licenses uh, is an important part of Stern's pinball catalogue. Things like movie tie-ins, 
pop culture reference and machines and iconic music bands. Tell tell the listeners a bit about maybe one of your favourite movies or 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 bands. Who do you, what do you like to do? You know, and uh, watch and listen to to, to yeah. unwind a little bit. Um, so I'll tell you, licensing is uh, it's a really it's I mean it's a double edged sword. It's um it's really hard. Um, working with licenses is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, it's um, the you know, some licensors are easier to work with than others. Um, yeah, but in general, you have someone that has 100% right of approval on the thing that you're creating. And so, and that sometimes if, if it's a licensor you have a relationship with and they understand you and they understand your medium, um, they're much easier to work with. If it's a licensor you haven't worked with, perhaps sometimes it's a little more difficult because they don't understand the medium. And a modern-day Pinball machine is a very complex device. It has, you know, it has state-of-the-art video and audio. It has, uh, in addition to all of the traditional physical electromechanical things that happen on a pinball playfield, um, it has art in so many surface on so many surfaces in so many different um, formats. You know, the back glass is backlit but the sides of the cabinet is not. There are, you know, the playfield art is part of, is woven into the game design. It's the fabric of the game design is, is represented and displayed in the playfield art. Um, so you have to take the, the license and you have to intricately apply it to the medium of pinball. And it's a very difficult thing. So when you're trying to explain to someone who's not familiar with a pinball machine, they they don't understand that it's 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 not just like decoratively laid onto the machine that it becomes the medium is representing uh, the brand uh, yeah. within the context of pinball. And so so it's a very very difficult thing to do, and it's a very difficult thing to work with when you have. Uh, if you have, um, you know, uh, folks on the other end that, that don't maybe understand that. So yeah, it, yeah. there's always a, you know, there's always an education period, a learning period for them to, to understand. Um, it, it's, it's much easier for us to immerse ourselves in the brand, right? Because in, in a lot of cases, we're fans. Um, like I try very hard to, to match designers with themes that they, they like it. It's it's really important. It's really really important. I mean, it's like I I you know I if if I'm not a fan of the of whatever the whatever it is the music the movie the actor the character whatever it is it's it's going to be difficult for me to represent it and it's in in you know as opposed mm. to a guy so into it that he he'll give it 110 percent, won't he? You know. Mm. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I think that it's a challenge. It's one of it's one of the biggest challenges in in our world today. Uh, um, And so I think that um, uh, but, you know, I mean, you know, I I mean, I like I have I very I've. um, You know, I'm 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 have a I guess I have varied tastes in music, so I have. I mean, I like all kinds of different things. I, I do like a lot of the bands and things that we 
that we res you know that we've gone to because you know they resonate with the time frame that I grew up in you know so yeah. um you know the the so if you look at you know if you look at a lot of the stuff we've done the same thing with um you know films and fiction and stuff I'm, you know I'm I grew up very into you know Marvel comics and and you know um you know I thriller fiction I you know spy fiction all this science fiction so I have um you know I'm I mean I I don't I don't think that I don't think my I don't think my my tastes are that particularly unique I think that there's a lot of people into the things that I'm into um I'm into cars you know I so clearly you know, it wasn't a stretch for me to do Corvette, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a stretch for me to sort of um, guide or direct the guys that were doing Mustang. You know, it's like with with Mustang. You know, you mentioned Mustang, and yeah. and and what I what what I what I I think how I sold this is to 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 both to Ford, right? At the time, you know, Ford was you know the biggest car company on the planet and and you, you go in there and you, you you're going to sell them on the notion of making these pinball machines and you say i i mean i i, I said to the guy i said look it's 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 going to be a walking talking advertisement of the brand and and when we were all said and done um he came back to me and he said you know what he said that thing looks like we made it and i said that's the <laughs> that's the highest compliment you could have paid me <laughs> <You know? laughs> that we've represented the brand you know and it, we've been so pure to your brand that um it, it's consistent and you know and it got a lot of collector it got a lot of collector traction uh from the mustang guys right um yeah so solid solid game solid game yeah yeah so, so i think i mean you know it's uh the the, the licensing thing is it's a double-edged sword. It's a great thing. You need it. You want it. Got to have it. But it it, it can be challenging uh, in in terms of work. You know. Mm, yeah. Yeah. All right, Daz. Yeah. So if it's you, then maybe just to wrap up. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll wrap this up. Um, George, thank you so much for um for spending some time with us. It's it's been so insightful, especially the early um arcade uh, tales and stories. They're absolutely fantastic. Um. Is there, is there anything you'd like to say before we finish the no, just, podcast? Up? I, I, I hope you guys have, um, I hope people enjoy the episode and uh, I hope you guys, uh, you know, have, have, uh, have a good time with it and uh, stay well. And, and thanks for thinking of me and thanks for including me. Uh, um, it was a lot of fun. Likewise. Now, thank you so much. Uh, no, I'm sure our, I'm sure our listeners will greatly enjoy this and we, we have as well. So um, thanks guys. Okay, stay okay. well. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, George. Stay safe. Stay and, safe. Uh, all, all the success when uh, when you finally uh, get back up and running. Awesome. Thank you. You too. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye.